Whether it's for work or play, we rely on home internet so much these days. Being connected and staying connected has never been more important. So if you want reliable internet bought you at speed, switch to Aussie Broadband. It only takes a few minutes to sign up and their 100% Australian-based support team are ready to help. Aussie Broadband, the actual Aussie way. Find out more at aussiebroadband.com.au. T's and C's apply. G'day guys, happy new year and welcome back to Dylan Friends 2021. Thank you so much for all your messages over the break. Suggestions of guests, entering the competition, listening to the show. I'm so very excited for a big, big 2021 for all. It's going to be good for all of us. I can feel it in my bones. I hope you had a good break. Oh, I did. Fantastic break. Spent some time with family and friends. Got away. Did some camping. Yes, the BT outside 50 on the G, four-wheel driving. Borrowed my mate's swag, and um, we had a great time there, which was which was fantastic. My two things, a lot of goals this year, but my two things that I wanted to get into more was camping and reading books. I did some camping, and I read a book, Boy Swallows Universe. Absolutely fantastic. Make sure you read that. So many of you have already sent me messages uh, through social media on that book too, so keep them coming. Um, and if you haven't read it, please, please check that one out because it was really cool. Okay, I'm getting sidetracked. I'm absolutely buzzing for the year ahead. We've got so many exciting guests planned and events so I can meet you all in person finally. I know so many have been listening every week and I need to thank you all in person for the support. I do not take it for granted and you know I love you all. Before we launch into season four, which is coming soon in February, I wanted to put together a bit of an episode with all my favorite bits from 2020 before we kicked off in 2021, officially, because there were so many moments that I'd forgotten about. And I know a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode called the 2020 BNF, which we crowned our victor in Matt Rowell when we actually gave him a call live on the show and his mother answered. I accidentally had her number. I have no idea how. Have a listen. This was it. Please answer. Hello. Hello. Yes. Is that Matt? No, it's Louise. Cherie. Louise. Louise. So is that Matt Rao there? Yeah, he's around. He's out the back. Oh, fantastic. This, This is Dylan Buckley. Um, oh, hi, Dylan. How, how are you? Are you? <laughs> yeah, very well. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I'm just calling Matt um, to let him know <laughs> that he's won the 2020 Dylan Friends Best and Fairest. <laughs> no, <laughs> no way. He can win anything. He's just started. Don't tell him that. He'll be happy. He'll be swaggering around like yeah, that. Well, he should be. He should be. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get this number? This is my number. This is so, what the hell? He gave me this number. Yeah, you know what? He did. Yeah, you know why? Because he's a mummy boy. That's what it is. So Hang you're on. just telling me that I've just called Matt Rowe's mum. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, and I'm. So you know sorry. what I'm cooking right now? What are you cooking? You know what I'm cooking right now? Chorizo pasta. <laughs> I swear to God. I swear oh. to God. I'm looking to read them. I was just looking to your I listened to the Chris Dad one. Now, he's the real MVP. Come on. No, he came second. Second place. Oh, my God. That's a cack. Yep. Hang on. Oh, my God. You're, I will go and get the boy. Thank He's out you. the back. Thank you. When he started playing table tennis. Love it. Hang on. Thank you. Don't tell him. <laughs> no, you really need to take it. You do, Matt. You do. And don't give me my phone number to Who's this? It's Dill Buckley. Oh, Dill, how are you? Good, mate. What's going on? Mate, congratulations. I just wanted to call you. Somehow I have just called your mum. I have no idea how, and I apologise for that. But <laughs> I just want to let you know, mate, you've won the 2020 BNF 
of the Dylan Friends podcast. Oh, no way. You did. It's been, it's been oh, voted by everyone and you've won it. You're live on the show at the moment. We're not live. We're just pre-recorded, but you have won. the. Po- you're on the podcast now. Oh, wow. Uh, well, that's a great honour. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't believe it. Yeah, well, great Dan, news. you've won it, mate. Congratulations. Is there um, anyone you'd like to thank, mate? Yeah, is there anyone you'd like to thank? A uh, big thanks to Dill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, I was, it was a dream time of mine to get on the show, and uh, now I've won the best of so it's uh, very overwhelming. But uh, I, uh, thanks, Dill. Thanks to mum and dad. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mate, thank you so much um, for coming on. I'll let you go now. But again, congratulations. We're sending you out a trophy and some thank more you. and some more um, kit, the Dylan Friends kit uh, for winning. So congratulations, mate. Oh. And I'll, I'll catch you soon. And um, very excited for big 2021 20, from yourself. Yeah, catch you soon, Dylan. See, see you, mate. Bye. See ya. So that was Matt's mum on the phone. When you think you could not love that man anymore, there he is again, just absolutely warming my heart with his family and friends, playing some table tennis with dad. Geez, that's wholesome. I love that, man. Now, from this episode, we got so much feedback that they wanted more highlights, so we thought we'd put together one more little road-tripping best of 2020 episode so that you can listen to that, buy some time, reflect on the journey that was before we launch into 2021. As I said, some big guests, big things happening, which will be shared soon. So here it is. Check it out. Make sure you like it, subscribe it, send me a kiss in the post. Let's go. Enjoy. Thank you. That was weird. Sorry. From episode 33, Jimmy Buckley. I've just learnt this story of a footy trip in Fiji where you broke your neck. Talk me through it. Yeah, well, we had a bit of a party at one of the houses there one night. We sort of got up on the balcony and I don't know what happened. I went to the wrong end of the pool and someone pushed me. I think it was one of the other rovers. It might have been a Marku or a... <laughs> so you're on a balcony. A night, on a bit of a roof line. And you've up gone to jump in into Fiji. the pool? Well, I didn't go to jump in. Someone pushed me and I hit the wrong end and I dived into the wrong end and... It wasn't too. It wasn't too deep. I know that much. But anyway, so you, over there, they had, they got no X-ray machines over there. So they, I never forget, Keith McKenzie and them took me down the doctor, Richard Ward, who, who came to my birthday. They were the beautiful Richard Ward. He's a magnificent doctor, and he drove me down to one of the main cities down there. And they haven't got an X-ray machine, so they had a sort of a photo camera or something like that. They t- and he said, "Oh, you, that's the best we can do at the moment." So he put a big towel around my neck with a with a safety great big safety pin, and so I had to. My neck was playing up a bit, so I was out with water skiing. It looked like that weekend at Bernie's, it did. You were water skiing water with, skiing a, with a, a tail around your well, neck? I didn't know I had a broken neck till I got back, <laughs> playing <laughs> playing soccer with the, with the uh, Fijians. And when I got back, Carlton had one of the most uh, recent um, X-ray machines where you could stand up at, and they could X-ray, and I was getting these pains down my back, something chronic. And so I said, have you played any? What had you done since the injury? You'd gone water skiing, you played soccer. Had you actually played golf, a game? Golf. Golf? No, golf, yeah, I, Everything did everything, but <laughs> very ordinary. I know that much. But <laughs> when I got back, I said, I'll get out of training here anyway. I said, I'm not a, I've got a crook neck or something's wrong with here. So I went to the uh, stood up over the road, which we owned across the road, Carlton Footy Club owned it. And um, they took an x ray. Next thing I hear an ambulance coming up the road. I go, The bloke said, Don't move, don't move. I said, What are you talking about? He said, You got a broken neck. <laughs> I said, Jesus Christ. I said, I've been running around like an idiot for the last two weeks. So I was in traction for about three or four months after that. So at the start of the year, you've broken your neck and at the end of the year, playing in a flag. Yeah. Yeah, it's a remarkable recovery. That's it. It's, just, it's all about the mindset. Yeah, mindset. <laughs> From episode 75, Andrew Russell. Yeah, well, I think the, the research on sleep has improved significantly over the last, you know, 15 years. What we now know a lot and we didn't know, you know, 15, 15 20 years ago. So um, it's been out there, but... Um, 
I, you know, I think that um, I was always, I grew up an athlete um, and I knew growing up innately that I just couldn't train unless I had really good sleep. And I was obsessed about being a good athlete. Now, you know, I didn't become great, doesn't matter, but I wanted to be good. Um, but I just knew how important it was. So I was so self-driven around doing that. No one needed to tell me. So I had a sort of a thirst for it early around I'm just not going to compromise on that. And then I started pushing it with the athletes that I work with um, and I started seeing athletes just change quite significantly. The guys that slept well and the guys that didn't, just their consistency, the consistency of energy, number one, their mood, you know, how, how, um, you know, how just up and about they were um, and their ability to deal with high training lights. So I was doing the experiment without really knowing the science and then the science sort of came from everywhere and it's just like, well, that makes so much sense to me, you know, now that the science is out there. And, you know, if you want to be a good athlete, so let's talk about growth hormone. You know, all these young boys talk to me about wanting to get bigger and stronger and more endurance and everything. But if you really want to, then understand things like, you know, between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., there is a significant amount of growth hormone that's released at that time. So uh, that's what they call the money time in terms of growth hormone, all right? So if you choose to go to bed at 11, 11.30, you're missing out on 25%, 30%, 40% of that growth hormone release. So you want to be a good athlete? Go to bed at 10, 9.30, 10. Um, and, and then you've got to think about, well, so there's, there's, there's the physical side of recovery. So tissue regeneration is huge. And then there's the psychological element of recovery. So basically what happens um, within a night, we, we have these cycles, these sleep cycles. We want as many sleep cycles as we can over that period where we go to bed. Um, the more sleep cycles you have, the better recovered you are. Now, early on in the night, it's actually more around the physical recovery. Um, and then interestingly, as you go later on in the night with this thing called uh, REM sleep. Um, and that is where you get your psychological recovery. So um, that is where you, all, all, everything that you learn during the day, basically we get smarter at night. We don't get smarter during the day. We get smarter at night because all that information is digested, retained, and then goes into our brain, into long-term memory. Um, but also the other fascinating thing about REM sleep, so that we're talking you know, the sleep you get between 3 and 7 a.m. or that type of sleep there is how you deal with life is much better when you get better quality REM sleep. So how you deal with stress, how you deal with people. People people become, uh, they become irritating, you know, without, they get irritated easily. They don't deal with stress as easily and they don't respond to other people as well. So they just, you know, people get shitty much mm. quicker, uh, much quicker with people. So, um you know, and, and so eight hours isn't eight hours. It depends on what eight hours during the night you get as to which part of that recovery. And, and so, you know, it's all, all really important. So how, how do we get better sleep then? If we've, are we guaranteed to hit a REM cycle every night? Well, one of the things you don't get as much REM is when, um, when you drink alcohol, for instance. See, so that, was, that was something that I really wanted to talk to you about today because after a game, and I think this is a massive one that players, hopefully they don't do anymore, and I used to do, was every night – after a game or even some nights still after a long week I go shit I'm so fucking tired I'm just gonna have a glass of wine a couple glasses of wine so I can go to sleep but that's the worst thing I could probably do probably you could have been anything Dill you could still come back mate I reckon 
Yeah. Between you're not the sleep, only one who thinks that. Yeah. Sleep and <laughs> you you can still sleep. make it. Yeah, okay. There's still a chance. Yeah. Um, oh, look. So the big. I mean, the, one of the most. You know, when people are trying to change uh, a habit and improve their sleep, one of the things they talk about is the ten three two one rule. All right. So um, no caffeine for ten hours before you go yeah. to bed. Then we got three hours is no food or alcohol. Two hours technology. So the phone. So the blue light in the phone is no good. It's basically you think about you're stimulating the brainwaves you shouldn't be stimulating um, and then one hour um, is TV. Now that's very extreme. Even if you halve that, you know, that would be extremely beneficial. I mean, caffeine's huge. Caffeine's got a half-life of six hours. So when you have, if you have 100 milligrams in your coffee, then six hours later is 50, six hours after that is 25, six hours after 12 and a half. So if you have a coffee in the morning and a coffee at night, you've always got caffeine in your system. It will never, ever get out of your system. Um, so, you know, certainly talk to the players about not having caffeine after lunch. You know that it's, that it's there in the morning. Um, that, that's a huge thing. Um, sleeping in a dark room because your eyes pick up the light and that sends a message to your brain to sleep lighter or to wake up. So that's really, really important. Um, already talked about the technology. Um, 19 to 20 degrees. All right, temperature in your room has been the the number that they've been researched to be to be optimal. Um, and whereas a lot of us in summer we sleep too hot, and in winter too cold. You'd rather be too cold yep. than too hot. Um, the other thing about sleep is just getting into a routine. It's like anything. Getting into a sleep. Talk about sleep hygiene or sleep routine. That you have these expectation effects. That your brain knows that if you eat at that time. You then go and have a shower at that time. You do your teeth at that time. Your brain is that sophisticated that it knows that that routine of events leads to sleep. So, but if you do all these different things, if one night you're doing this, the next night you're doing something out and you've got all these different routines and all these different habits and behaviors before you sleep, your brain says, I don't know what you're doing. You're throwing me into disarray. I've got all these different brain activity happening and I'll make you suffer by not going to sleep or not getting into deep sleep as deep, quickly. Deeper sleep, yeah. So it's, yeah, it, look, it's fascinating, but, you know, really got to work hard on those sleep routines to maximise maximize your sleep. Eight hours is obviously what, is that, the, is that the key money? Is that the money hour that you want to be getting? Well, I don't think there's, uh, look, I think that sleep is very individual how much sleep we need, but I think there's no doubt that you need at least seven if you're going to be a high-level, you know, a high-level performer over time. Yeah. You can function at a high level with lack of sleep for a period of time, but it eventually gets you. And where, and where it might not get you from a, so if you're an athlete, it will get you absolutely without doubt because you are exerting, you need so much physical energy to produce that effort that you get found out. You make a decision not to do it. I think if you're not an athlete, you can still get away with it and still function at a high level, but where it gets you at some stage is just, is your health. At some stage, your body will break down and you will have a health issue of some description because regeneration is so important, whether you're an athlete or not an athlete. At a cellular level, cellular health is so important. So if you're breaking down cells, you are going to be putting yourself in a position of you know, ill health. And I, I talk to people now around, um, you know, you know, people are saying, yeah, but everyone's living longer and living these, you know, long lives. And so, yeah, yeah, people are living longer. But this concept of, of uh, health span versus disease span, so how much of that 80 years is quality versus how much of that 80 years 
do you break down and have some sort of health issue where the last 30 or 40 is an absolute disaster? Yeah, you're living, but are you really living? So this is this, this concept of how you want to make that health span as long as you possibly can, all right, and it's what you do in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, it's even what you even you do in your teenage years that actually helps you live a longer and healthier life. From episode 63, Nick Haynes. The 2019 grand final, how would Nick Haynes as a 19-year-old have dealt with that in terms of performance anxiety on that day? And and was that probably a moment oh. for you then to go, this is how far I've come? Because in all seriousness, like, I wasn't playing that game, but I felt sick. Like, I like genuinely felt sick. And, I, like, you know, I was probably – when I say probably, I was definitely not playing because I just wasn't even – I wasn't on the field, so like, I was just watching, feeling so shit. Like, how how could you have felt, man? Like, and you were one of the best players on the. Well, you actually were Giants' best player on the day. Yeah, as a even 19, 20, 21, 22 year old, I would have battled hard. Like, it would have been the worst. I wouldn't have enjoyed the week at all. The parade, the build up, the media, the fans. I would have just been thinking. I would have been by the time the granny started. I would have played the whole game in my head. I would have been fatigued. I would have been, yeah, absolutely nowhere. And the, the big crowd would have got to me. Um, so, yeah, I, I would have been absolutely nowhere. So I'm very lucky that, well, we lost by 90 points, so it wouldn't have mattered. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess the night before the game, like, I was – oh, it's a funny thing, actually. The night, I haven't told anyone this. I was – the night before the game, I was – we did a jumper presentation of we're giving each other a Guernsey for the grand final. And I had Phil Davis. I was giving my Guernsey to Phil Davis. And so, hi, Hainsey, because this is, I think this is an incredible point. Explain that jumper presentation process because it's something that you don't have to go fully into it, but I think that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. So it was just like a acknowledgement of where we've come and representing the Guernsey. And each player had a corresponding player that they were going to present the Guernsey to the night before the game after we went through all the tactics and all that. And, um, mine was Phil Davis and um, I don't like public speaking the best. Even in a meeting sometimes I get a bit like throaty and be like, oh, yeah, yeah. do it like that. <laughs> so I was like, oh, sweet. I've got the skipper. Surely I'm first. Like Leon, like, come on. Like not for a game, a bit nervous. Like I've got the skipper. You know I've got anxiety a bit. Like just give me the role first. I'll present a jumper. Like Hopper's going through, but um, Toby Green, um, you got Heater. 20 minutes later, I'm sitting there still waiting. He's left me for last. And like even that, so it still hits you the anxiety. Like you still get it. But like I was last. I've been waiting there for half an hour. I swear, like what am I going to say about Phil Dale? Like it's the captain, like the granny. He's got his calf. Like, I need to be inspiring here. Like it's the last talk before the granny. And I remember just like being that nervous. And I got up there and that's where my progression's gotten better. I actually talked okay. But – I still got – I went after it and I went up to my room and I, I cried. And I was like – I was like pissed off. I was like, why am I still getting so anxious? And then I got up there and I'm like, this is just ridiculous. I've got a granny tomorrow and I'm crying over presenting a jump to my captain. Like, it's just ridiculous. So I think, as I said, like it's helped me with my football. Like, you still get it in life and different situations. But I still remember that night like I was meditating. I was like, okay, let's let's process this and – processed it meditated and i just remember coming out of the meditation i just smiled like i'm like how good's this like just presented guernsey to the skipper i'm in a granny tomorrow the boys have played unbelievable this final series and i'm just going to go enjoy it i'm going to give play my best footy and enjoy it so uh it's a good 
correlation of how it still affects you, but also a good correlation in how it's improved me so much as a player. Man, it's, it's unbelievable. And I think if there's one thing that I've learned about, um, you know, anxiety and, and gratitude and, and anything sort of mental uh, mentality side is, is yeah, yes, you can get good at things, but there's always going to be that coming back to you. Like, so yes, you can get over anxiety. You can, you can be extremely grateful. You can be, you know, really healthy, but that doesn't mean it's going to be gone. It just, no, it just, it's just like, you know how to deal with it better. And I suppose, you know, I think about things like gratitude, something really big for me. And if I put it in, in your perspective in terms of, of the performance anxiety thing, it's like, yes, I can be grateful all the time. Right. But there's going to be times where I'm in the worst mood and I'm not grateful or I'm feeling anxious, but you catch it out quicker when you practice it. So like that could have probably gone into the next day, but because you were practicing it and you had these things that you could get to, like then you could just get over it quicker and, you know, get over it. Yeah, you're exactly right. And people have experienced it like yourself. Like the, the biggest thing is acknowledging it and um, accepting it. So, and as you said, like you get over it so much quicker and um, that's maybe a misconception is where people with like depression, anxiety, or whatever it is, that if they look happy, oh, they're, they're over it. Like it's done. Yeah. But no, it's still with them. So you still got to be, you still got to, um, you know, be cautious of that as, as people. And um, that's why with routine and everything, it's it's such a fragile thing you have to cherish. And that's why with me, routine and all that stuff so important. For episode 40, Luke Shuey. I want to touch on this because it's the big part. Norm Smith, mate. You had 34, a goal. You received 11 out of 12 possible votes. And uh, you obviously finished the game the best on on ground. Like, what's what's the way that you approach that? Game? Like, I know you said you just had your first son, but there's got to be some sort of mentality that goes into it. And to be able to bounce back after, you know, two years earlier, losing the game and probably not playing the way you wanted, as you said earlier. Um. My one vivid memory from finals as a collective that year was um, I hadn't I hadn't been at my best. So my my first final and then obviously the prelim um, I played reasonably average. You know I wasn't at my best and it hadn't cost us up until that point. But I didn't want to I didn't want it to cost us that following week. So I I went to Sam Mitchell who was um, my midfield coach at the time um, along with Nathan Van Berlo. Uh, but I went to Mitch that week and I said, mate, um, biggest game of my life this week. Um, I'll do anything to win. I don't care about getting a kick, but I haven't been my best. Um, I want you to sit down tonight, watch my last two games and tell me what I need to do to play well. So he came back to me a few days later and said, um, gave me two simple instructions, really simple. And I wrote them on a bit of paper, sticky tape to my steering wheel. So <laughs> whenever I was in my car, it was right in front of me. Um, and yeah, I, I guess going into the game, I had a simpler focus than I ever really did for any game, which is funny to think about considering probably more was on the line than ever before, but, um, yeah, I like to think it helped. No, it definitely did. Um, it was an incredible game. I, I like, I remember watching it and just thinking, you just honestly had no idea what was going to happen. Um, have you reflected much on it? I know your own performance, obviously, but have you reflected as a group on how you actually won the game yet? Um, once a week we get together and watch the club. We have had a couple of get-togethers. We um, we had a get-together that, obviously, that off-season um, at Timo's house and, and watched it as, as a group and had a few beers. That was, that was cool. Um, I 
think we, I actually think we had official meetings that week at the club. Obviously, you had your exit meetings, but I think we actually reviewed a tiny bit of the game on, on what we did well and that sort of thing. I can't really remember. I might have been a bit, a bit hazy. Yeah, he might have been the cordials. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think we spoke probably a, a bit more in depth about it once we came back to pre-season and, and reflected a little bit on it. But um, obviously, the, the game changes so much from one season to the next. So we we didn't want to dwell on 2018 too much going into 2019. But yeah, no, I've, I've seen the game couple of times and seen a lot of vision here and there at different events and um, maybe in my own time here and there as well. This gives me goosebumps and I just want to get you your opinion on this and I want to hear more about the man himself. Talor provides the run, kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. What a mark, Bruce, what a mark and he goes to Vardy straight away. They need to keep going quickly. 2.29 remaining. Ryan with a big mark. Flying Ryan. What about that? He plays on. Ball to Sheets. Too long. Maynard can't get there. Sheed, did he play on? Did he take a step? Dom Sheed. I love him. Mm. What? Oh, you just don't hear yeah, a lot about well, him. So What's he like? He's a, he's a ripper, mate. He's a... Um, you'd actually get along fairly well with him. He's a country lad um, from Kalgoorlie. Kalgoorlie. Um, he's, uh, yeah, laid back, uh, loves a beer at the right time. Um, <laughs> and just, a, he's a good, honest footballer, mate. The old, you know, hard working, nothing too flashy. Well, nothing too flashy. Yeah, <laughs> <around him>. um, <laughs> uh, nothing too flashy about the way he plays. He's tough. Um, he's, uh, he's changed a lot over the years. I think, when he first came in as a midfielder, and especially a dominant midfielder as a, as a young kid, I think a lot of guys think um, the way to play well is get a lot of footy. And not that he not that he put himself before the team or just chased kicks, but um, he's grown, he's turned into a player who he will sacrifice a lot in his own game for the good of the team, but he's found ways to impact the game a lot more and just get the footy. And that, that's helped him become a really good player for us. You know, like he... I reckon probably the last two or three years there's been outside talk about his spot in the team and how's he going to find his way into the midfield. And then we signed TK over the off-season and everyone's writing, oh, you know, Dom will be the one that gets pushed out. But um, in the small sample size of three games we've had this year, he's, he's had 20 and 6 games, mainly for half-forward flank. So he, his ability to adjust different things and find one impact has been really impressive. But... Um, Maybe I'll hook you up one day. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be really good. Yeah. Um. It, it. To be honest, it just sounds like that's that's West Coast really. It's just a, a well-oiled machine, and and the boys just all sort of play their role. But one thing that you know, I don't think this is uh, a secret. But I heard Adam um, Simpson saying once that he wanted Dom Sheet off the ground at that stage, and he was like really trying to get him off the ground. Yeah, I, I did hear that, and um, so. I think Dom might have been Ford at the time. And we had Mark Lacroix on the bench. So, um, obviously, Mark Lacroix, one of the greatest small forwards in West Coast history, you mm. probably want him on in the forward line with two or three minutes to go in a granny. Yes. Um, but obviously, that, that passage of play, being stuck over the far side of the ground, uh, if you do want someone off, it's going to be pretty tough to get him. So, uh, it doesn't surprise me that um, we couldn't get him off. But... Um, <laughs> I actually think that was his one effective kick all day. 
Mate, I just want to know one more thing about Dom Sheet. Does he ever bring that goal up? Because I know if I kicked it, I'd get it tattooed across my forehead. Um, I nearly got it tattooed. Uh, <laughs> he he doesn't talk about it, right? One bit humble. Um, if you bring it up with him, he'll he'll you know straight through to the keeper. Won't won't go near it. You get three or four beers into him, and you literally can't stop him from bringing it up. Oh, I I want to have a beer with him. I need to. From episode 53, Zach Dawson. One day early at Hawthorne, you said you might not have been ready for AFL footy at this stage. You might not have been switched on. But there's a punishment session where yeah. you've so you've done something and there's been a punishment session the next day. So I was late. To what? I was late to a training session. Yeah. <clears throat> so what happened was we we trained at Glen Ferry, Hawthorne. Yes. I lived in Keelor. It's a big trip. Big trip. Traffic. Traffic. <laughs> I need sleep, you know. So I'm the time, the you know, I'm an hour and a half drive. I'll give myself hour forty, you know. Oh, that's see, never do that. You've got to give yourself a half an hour each way. I don't do it anymore. Okay. <laughs> so I end up chock a block traffic, um, all the way down the Calder. Nightmare. Rock up to the um, the training field out in um, near Yarra Bend Golf yeah. Course. We're doing going for a run. And as I pulled in the car park, there goes the group off into they're the off. distance. Oh. And I'm like, oh, no, what am I going to do? So I get out of the car and they're like, no, just get back in the car. <clears throat> so got back in the car, just sat there and waited for them. They're like, no, just go back to the club. Oh. I drove back to the club. By the end of the day, they'd agreed to do a, a 5 a.m. Kerford Road, Port Melbourne session off the pier. Had a stressful night, couldn't really sleep, you know. And so I've gone home and... Um, Set the alarm and drifted off. Oh, restless. I'm like, oh god, I hope, can't sleep in. So no. just to confirm, this is your punishment session for being yeah, late. Yeah, You're going to Kerford Road. The whole team. Yeah, coaches. Because you were late, coaches. Yeah. <laughs> and rolling around, can't be late. Can't be late. Can't be late. Shut the eyes. Drift off for a bit. I feels like five seconds. I wake up, and I was meant to leave at four thirty. It was four forty-five. Oh. And so. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon I've jumped in the car in my jocks. <laughs> I'm like, grab my stuff. I'm like, I've just got to get, like, and it's from Keelor to Port Melbourne. Yeah. It's, a, it's a half hour, uh, 20 oh. minutes, 25 minutes. Can I get there in 15? So anyway, it took me 25 and I got there at 10 past five. Oh, and, fuck. Oh. And the whole group's standing there and I've just fanged around the corner. I'm like, oh, no, what am I going to do? And you know the feeling oh like, mate, i can feel sickness, it now this sickness feeling <laughs> right and so i've jumped out the car it's freezing cold freezing cold in the middle of winter yeah i oh, know probably probably just about to start winter and um get out there and the boys are just give me the worst like, greasies and i'm like oh no what's gonna happen so they get me out the front absolutely tear shreds off me i think clarko gave me an absolute rocket Tears, 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 tears. tears. <laughs> <laughs> the tears. The tears I couldn't. I didn't know what to oh, do. No, oh, so my body was just like just so disorientated, oh. and like it was like I was in shock. And the tears, like I didn't know what else to do. And the tears. So were like, this is oh in front God. of the whole team. I'm so, like, I was oh. so sorry. Right. Oh. Oh. And oh. it was like the worst feeling that you could ever have. Being late to a late. You're late to your own late punishment. It's not. It is the bottom of the barrel. So <laughs> that's where my 
as part of my perception at the club that that really oh, yeah. put it back a long yeah. way. And yeah. it, and <clears throat> even by the time I was delisted, like two or three years later, four years later, that was still a thing. Still, I think it was yeah. always you know. But by then, I'd I'd always get there early. Oh yeah. And so I was always once we went out to Waverley, I was driving for Kilo to Waverley. And it was even longer drive. Um, and then. Yeah, I'd get there early. I'd get if it's seven o'clock, so I'd get there at six and I'd sleep in the car. Mm. Um, so I, I'd kind of, oh, out shit. of all that, you you learn your lesson. But it's a big lesson. It was a, it was a very hard lesson to learn. Shit, man. <laughs> Do you know what the worst part is about being late? It's not nearly rocking up. It's actually like the fifteen minutes where you know you're late and you're just going, "What am I doing? Like what? Like it's I'm meant to be there now, but I'm not. Like what do I do right now?" You just gotta, you gotta chill. You just gotta sit in the car. <laughs> well, there's nothing worse than being five minutes away, stuck in traffic. Oh, because it's like you're five minutes away, but it's gonna take you fifteen minutes to get there. Fuck, mate. Can we talk? Like, we're not far from Kerb. The funny thing about this is, we're actually not far from Kerb of Rope here right now. So I must still bring back memories. Uh, I can't. I drove the other way. <laughs> I, I understand that because we. I've told these, you know, a story a little bit, but at Carlton, we when we lost, we'd go to Kerford Road Pier for about four weeks in a row and the same thing every week. There would be someone late, we'd have to come back the next day, jump off that pier. I don't think people know how cold that water is in the middle of June, July. Shocking. August. It takes your breath away. Yeah, it's... If you can't swim, I was like, I'm a great swimmer. So I could literally So get, I couldn't I swim. Get in. I, I can get in. No, no but, worries. But people don't understand, because the water's that cold, your arms you don't work. That, yeah. So like you sort of go into like mode where you're like, Shaking and, mode. and all the blood goes to like inside of your body. So your arms are, you sort of feels like you've got ten pound weights on your arms because the worst one wasn't we did wasn't the curve rope here. It was a swim around a boy at St Kilda um, Sea Bars. So there was a boy. Yeah, it's about hundred meters out. It, I, I was going to say three hundred, but that was probably way too far. It was. <laughs> it's probably not three hundred. I'm going to say one fifty to meet yeah, you somewhere right. around yeah, there. Right. One fifty out, one fifty back. Now, I, I'm not a confident swimmer in a pool. I actually couldn't swim 50 metres in a row for a while until I kept practising, but it's genuinely scary. Mm. Thousands of Aussies trust Aussie broadband to keep them connected to the world, even when they're on the go. Because as well as reliable home internet, Aussie broadband also offers flexible mobile plans with super generous data allowances and no locking contracts. Their 100% Australian-based support team are ready to help you make the switch. It only takes a few minutes. Aussie broadband, the actual Aussie way. Search Aussie Broadband Mobile to find out more. T's and C's apply. From episode 39, Brendan Favola. One memory that I have of you one day, um, I'm not sure on the actual what happened with this, but it'd be interesting to get your opinion. The day that you started at full back. Oh, yes. What happened there? Well, I was struggling, man. I think I wasn't getting a kick. And... um, <laughs> it's actually a pretty funny story. I don't I've really ever told this story before. So Fraser and I are real, like, real good mates. So the big G train, you know, two big full forwards that love a beer that have got no idea about normal life. Um, we just were in our own little bubble. And Fraser was a real recluse. Like he just hated going out. We just sit at his house and have like froth. Yeah. Um, sitting in his bar. Sounds weird, but we sit in his bar and have froth. Um, anyway, we, we went out for dinner on like the – I remember walking up to Monday at training and Dennis come up to me and says, hey, uh, hey, son, you're going to play on your big mate fullback this weekend. You haven't been getting a kick. Now you need to know what it feels like to play down the back. I said, what? I was like, all right, no worries. So you just take it. I was like, yep, yeah, okay, I'm playing fullback. So anyway, I went out for, we went out for dinner with Big Fray. So we had Ty. And um, 
we're about 15 beers in because um, that's what we did. And he goes, oh, I might be playing a big Thornton this weekend. He goes, yeah, he goes, I'll probably kick 10. And I'm like, I'm playing on Maxi, yep, yeah, I'll probably kick one or two because Maxi always had my measure. Good player, Maxi Hutchinson. Anyway, we get to the game because <laughs> I obviously knew I was playing on Friday, so I didn't <laughs> tell him. And I'm running and I wore a long sleeve because Soss wore one. I'm like, mate, full back, <laughs> century, it worked for him. So I wore like a long sleeve for no other reason than I was playing full back. And I ran down and I went, went to the Telstra Dome and we're kicking to the locket end or I don't know what end it was. And, and mate, my sort of dude I used to hang around with at the footy club, Sammy Hamill was playing for St Kilda at the time. And this is what he said. He goes, hey, Fabio, you fuck with you at the wrong end. Because I ran past him. And he, I go, no, I'm not, mate. And he was laughing. And big phrase used to always go down the goal square. And he used to do these big darts with his yeah. little tight shorts. Yep. He used to dart up and down doing his sprints. And he goes, what are you doing, you big chin? <laughs> I go, man, I'm playing on you, man. And we laughed. And I'm like, oh, this is awful. Because he's a monster, man. Big boy. Like, he's a He's a monster. Like he could eat me and bench me like fifty times. Anyway, and I've scored next to him, so I didn't want to bump you because he's angry at. I didn't want to anger him, so I was just trying to be fun. Man, the ball come in the first two times, fuck, bang! I've had two marks, two kicks. I'm like, how easy is this? Playing back. Anyway, thirteen minutes into the first quarter, Fraser's kicked five. He <laughs> <laughs> was kicking that. He was kicking it out of his ass. I'm like, this is horrific. Oh. <laughs> I walk in at a quarter time and Dennis goes, son, back to full forward. I said, oh, geez, there's a lesson there, isn't there, Dennis? Never put me there again. <laughs> he goes, the lesson is you might not play next week. And I went, oh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the next week we play Adelaide in Adelaide. It was Wayne Carey's 250th. And we hadn't won away for ages, man. And I flicked some switches in that game, kicked the goal from the boundary to win the game. Yes, right yes, line. yes. That was the next week. They could have beat us by 120-something points, man. Like, they smacked us. And then and they had, like, Rusciuto, Carey, Goodwin, um, McLeod, Burton, all these Edwards. Mate, we had Digby Morrell, Daniel Harford. Skinny Lappin. <laughs> mate, mate, Skinny Lappin was a good player. Mate, you could have got you could have been on that team. <laughs> Dylan Buckley, we had all these folks playing. Man, and we beat them. Like we knocked them off. So I kicked seven and then we played Collingwood the week after I kicked eight. And then I kicked eight against Collingwood uh, Essendon the week after that. And Dennis come up to me. This is no word of a lie. He goes, son, geez, I'm a good coach. That's a masterclass. You go, hey, I put you to full back and then you go kick seven, eight, eight. <laughs> Tick for me. You know what? I was thinking to myself, you can do it. <laughs> I had nothing to do with you. <laughs> I taught you a lesson. Never put me up for that. From episode 35, Mick Farlow. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier off, off air. One of, I probably shouldn't say this, but I will. Um, one of the boys <laughs> was saying life. that game uh, that we're playing together, we'll talk about this later, but in the mm. knee for playing and the guy heard his, uh, Lockie Tiziani, yeah. one of the great players, heard his knee. Yeah. So he had the green whistle. And in this game, I'd cop that. Corky oh, that was in me to tell that story? Maybe you tell a story about the corky. Yeah, you go. Well, you tell a story. Some, to give it some context, you know, Dill and I somehow found ourselves out of the teams, <laughs> respectively at GWS and Gold Coast. Blockbuster. So, so <laughs> we were playing the reserves game, and where else do they want to put it but Mackay? <laughs> Let's fly these guys to Mackay as if they're not having enough bloody demons in their lives <laughs> that they're playing reserves <laughs> for these expansion clubs. Everyone. <laughs> They send them to the Mackay. Mackay. So where is Mackay, by the way? It's some North Queensland. North Queensland. Yeah. Like it, it was a 
But you would have thought the coronavirus was out there. There was literally not one person in the crowd. Well, they'd all come to watch the <laughs> Yapoon Swans play the Mackay Hawks in the in the curtain raiser, and then they'd all pissed off. But anyway, we played there, and um, it was yeah, the ball got kicked up, and there was a big collision. I'll, I'll give you that much. There was a big collision. About six or seven players involved, three red and three white, so three suns, three giants. Only five emerge from the pack <laughs> and get up. A couple of a little bit hobbled, but off they go following the ball. One of the white players, who is the Giants player, stayed down and was motionless. And everyone actually then the, the game came to a halt nearly, and everyone's like, Oh, is he alright? Looked over number forty three, looked up my record. And they didn't he have a record six actually. at this stage. <laughs> it was Dill Buckley. And um he he'd finally got up, so he's moving, but he was still on his all fours or on his ass, and then I was running onto the ground because we made an interchange. And Dill had the double trainer hook <laughs> under his legs, no stretcher, but he had the double. He was in the armchair getting carried off with the grimace on his face, and I was like, "Shit!" Oh, I felt for you because I was like, "Oh, he's done his knee, or he's broken a leg, or he's he's absolutely cooked his ankle." Corky, Corky. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna get the. I got the vision of that. Okay, when you see it, don't judge because it was it was a car crash. Now, you spoke at your moment before. So have some respect. Okay, that was my moment. That was my injury, and I was thinking, am I gonna live through yeah. this corky? Yeah. So anyway, post that, obviously, I'm in some. I'm in a world of hurt. I've just been hit by a truck in the in the quad. I've just been carried off the ground. I and also, to give it some context, it, the likelihood to be hit by a truck in that game, Gold Coast, we, I think we had four or five listed players, and the rest were the under-16 squad yeah. for the Gold Coast Academy. So but if yeah, I'm look, playing the averages, you've been knocked cleaned out by a 15-year-old. Yeah, look, <laughs> let's, not, let's not make it any worse than it was already. But From episode 72, Chris Judd. And you mentioned before how competitive you were and, and you still are today. Like when I had the pleasure of, of being around you um, at, at Carlton, you could see how hard you trained. Like it was on another level. Was that inspired by Ben Cousins, these sort of older guys at West Coast? Or was it something you always did or was it something you developed when you first got drafted? No, I just think I had some really strong lessons early on in my life that held me in really good stead. Um, so I used to be, do little athletics like a lot of people uh, would have done. And I was always, you know, I'd make the state championships and I'd generally come sort of last in the final, you know, for say 800 metres. So that's, that's a good effort. You're sort of eighth in the state as a, as a kid. And then one year I was going in the same path of qualifying at the regional championships, which are about four weeks before the state championships. And I didn't really do any training. This was just um, – sort of natural ability. And the old man said, well, do you want to do some training before the state championships? And I said, oh, yeah, that seems like a good idea. And so we trained every day for 30 days, which is you know <laughs> not the best way to structure a, a training program, but yep. that's all right. And, um, and ended up winning the state championships that year. And, and those little lessons in your life um, form your way of thinking and um, – you know, the guy who was the national champion fell over in that race. Uh, and I often wonder if, if he had have been in it, if he had have won and I'd have come second, if that lesson would have been as strong as what it was. And, and who knows, um, maybe coming second would have been 
a strong enough lesson. But um, you know, just seeing that 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 action and then the result from that in such a small period, but it was so quantifiable, um, was really important. And, and that really stayed with me. I, I was clear there, and you know, early on, even after that, as a teenager, I just worked out if you wanted a different result, you needed to do something different to everyone else, um, and that thing needed to be efficacious for it to to have the desired result. So I worked that out again as sort of a 16 and 17 year old and and that really just held true throughout my footy career. I've heard you speak a little bit about the word entitled and and entitlement and I think like these days that probably has like a negative connotation to it and people think, you know, younger generation are entitled, people are entitled. But I've heard a really awesome opinion from yourself and I'm not putting words in your mouth here correct me if I'm wrong but you said something like entitlement's actually a great thing if you've done the work so you should take pride in being entitled because then you know you deserve it is that correct it's true yeah I mean all these things are like balance so you know Mick Malthouse would say too much water you drown not enough water you die of thirst and somewhere in the middle is a level of water you need to to live and entitlement's a bit like that there are certainly um people that feel they're entitled to something which they haven't earned and that's viewed as a negative and I I think so it should be but there's also just as destructive when people don't think they're entitled for good things to happen in their life and what happens to those people is that when something bad happens to them they go well of course this would happen to me because that's that's what always happens to me and that's what I deserve and those people stay in in that that period for the rest of their life a really healthy level of entitlement means that when something bad happens to you, you go, well, that's not how it's meant to work out for me. I've done the work. Um, I'm going to adjust and adapt and and live to fight another day. And that's a really strong, positive thing that, that people need to have. And you could see it in AFL, that, that people that had that strong sense of entitlement and people that didn't. And people that didn't have it when they'd get dropped, they'd, you know, their bottom lip would hit the floor and they'd be saying, well, of course, this, this is what always happens to me. Poor me. And pretty soon in that sort of a system where it is a competitive environment, they just never fight back. Mm. But you could see the people that get dropped and rather than viewing it as a permanent uh, piece of evidence that they're doomed to fail, they, they listen to the feedback, they come up with a plan, they respond and they come back bigger and better. And it, that sense of entitlement is when it becomes a, a hugely powerful thing for people. From episode 64, Brad Hollis. It's incredibly sitting down with you today, and we have crossed paths a couple times uh, over the last twelve months, and we've been trying mm-hmm. to tee this up, as we said, for a while. But um, I normally give a, my sort of recollection of the first meeting and how it went by, but I think that you might have a better yeah. one, so I want to throw that in your court, and maybe we can talk about how we first um, yeah. connected on a spiritual level, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, because I did that video about you last year, I reckon. And so then we messaged a bit then, and then the la- at the end of last year we first met. We was at that um, Puma uh, thing, and it was in Melbourne. So obviously I flew to Melbourne from Adelaide and slept in a hotel room. And then the next morning went into I don't know what was it called in Brunswick. It was like the yeah, it was or called something or the the wool shed. Wool yeah, mill. that's what it was. Yeah, wool mill. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. So I've walked in, and you know by myself in my backpack and a bit nervous. And I walk in and you're pretty much right at the door, but you got your back to me and then you turn around and you, you know, say hello, introduce me and you shake my hand. And it was like one of the, it was pretty strong handshake, <laughs> like one of the strongest, uh, like it was unexpectedly 
hard. Because I'm, I'm just a kid, you know, I'm just coming from Adelaide, this kid rocking up, you know, and bang. Do like first impression. And because I, I remember, I think you had the, when you had the big ox on, uh, David Swartz, he, he told a story about your dad doing the same thing to him, just squeezing his hands. So obviously, you've, your dad's passed down that uh, trait, which is good. <laughs> There's not um, many he has passed down and that could be one of them, but I do appreciate that. So me and the ox are just sitting there like, man, our hands. Just, yeah. But we um, <laughs> then straight after that, there was another guy next to you, a money manager or someone like that, and then he shake, he's introduced himself and sh- shook my hand. And the exact same, he's like the exact same like strength. And it just sort of was all, you know, it was almost, you know, sort of to me it was like, hey, you know, this isn't, you know, you're not in – you're in the big city now, you know. This is the big boys you're sitting at the big boy table, and you know, part, I could almost sense a part of you was like, "Look, Brad, if you want it." The handshake sort of spoke to me. It was like, "If you want to turn around right now, get on a plane back to Adelaide. We will not even judge you, but if you're going to come in, we play for keeps <laughs> in here." From episode sixty-six, Brandon Alice. I know your story. Like I, I know your story from, you know, growing up and we've got a lot of mutual friends and we've been mates for a long time. Yep. Um, and I've never even, you know, we've never spoken about this in terms of like we're together because I just respect that it's your story and that, you know, that that's your story and that's the way that it is. But I would love to for you to be able to sort of share what you're happy to share with that if if you are. Yeah. Um, would you be happy to sort of go into what you had to, what you spoke about and what, what you know you've been through through your life with your hero hardship and highlight and, yeah. and how that sort of went through it. Yeah, easy. Well, it's it's pretty. Yeah, it's out there in um in I think the the Richmond book that the blah that Conrad wrote in 2017. So like you know I'm not going to shy away from it. But yeah, so I got up there and I spoke about my hero being um my old man, and I just spoke about how um well so he's obviously been diagnosed with cancer twice so there was one time when i was about 12 um he had kidney cancer so that was pretty easy to get rid of just took his kidney out (laughs) see you later (laughs) um anyway and then so that a serious one came back in 2015 he um was just like feeling his neck and he goes oh it's a bit weird like a bit of a lump there when he got scans um (laughs) and they said shit like you've got i think esophagus or throat cancer they were saying you know i can't really remember at the time and then he goes, oh, all right, well, you know, what's the go? How do we get rid of it? And then, like, anyway, more tests got done. And then they're like, you know, well, this is pretty far gone. Like, we're not quite sure how this is going to go or even if the treatment's going to work. Like, you might not have, like, much longer to live. And he's just like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> how has this come out of nowhere? And, like, I haven't known. Um, anyway, so, like, they gave him the options to do the treatment and whatnot. And he goes, of course, I'm going to do it because you know, I've got three kids. So I've got a, a younger sister and a younger brother as well. Um, and so, yes, as a 15 year old or might've been 14, like finding that out, you know, as in, you'd know, like your old man, he's like, he's your best man. Like you do everything together growing up. Like he takes you to footy trainings, like takes you all the games. He's just like your best mate, like your right hand man. Um, and then, yeah, so for him to tell me that, um, you know, I sort of just didn't want to play footy anymore. Um, so I sort I was opted out of the Barry Davis squad in the, at the quarter cannons, um, as a 16 year old. Or fifteen year old, I can't really remember. Um, and then, yeah, like I stopped going to school. I just wanted to be with him because, like, we didn't really know how much longer he was going to, you know, have to go. Anyway, then like fast track six months of like he had pretty heavy chemo, pretty heavy radiotherapy. Um, and then he goes back and gets some like scans, and they're like, shit, like it's gone. He's like, is 
what do you mean? Like you said, you know, that this was basically too far gone. We couldn't get it. I couldn't, you know, get on top of her. And they're like, well, yeah, she's gone. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, he was, probably was my hero. It just shows like, and just never give up um, and just keep fighting. Um, and it was one time when he was getting chemo, he told one of my best mates, Richard Vaxalis, who, you know, pretty well. Um, like, and I overheard him telling you this. I was in my room and Richard come over and he goes, whatever happened to me, he goes, just please look after Brandon. Please make sure he gets back into footy again. And when I heard that, I was just like, you know what? Like stuff, everything, I'm just going to play football for my old man. Because, you know, I overheard him say that um, to my best mate who was in the lounge room with him. Um, so, yeah, and I guess sort of the, you know, the rest is just history. But, yeah, it was just sort of my hero just to, to show like to just never give up. Um, and, yeah, so then my hardship, <laughs> just another one I spoke about was um, you know, growing up in commission flats. So I grew up in yep. the North Carlton commission flats for like 18 years. Um, you know, so all my mates had houses, had cars, um, you know, had backyards, had their own rooms. And, you know, I was just this kid like who shared a room with his little brother. Um, you know, family could probably couldn't, you know, really afford the rent each month. Um, and, yeah, so I guess sort of that was my hardship, just some of the things that I went through. Um and how, how I used to, like, walk a, a different route to school because, like, I didn't want the kids to see where I grew up because I sort of, um, you know, through primary school and at the start of high school, like, sort of got picked on for not living in a house or having a backyard. So, yeah, sort of, um, yeah, that was my hardship. Um, so I spoke about that. And then my highlight was, yeah, obviously getting drafted to the Tigers and, um, yeah, you know, so thankful and grateful for them because they've obviously shown me a new life and, um yeah, sort of picked me up off my feet and, you know, I'm able to help out my family now. So I sort of got them out of the flats and helped them pay, you know, rental for a house. Um, obviously, got a couple of places of my own. So, yeah, it's amazing what you can do when you, when you work hard and you're disciplined and, you know, you keep at something. So, um, yeah, that's sort of my hero, my hardship and my highlight that it, I spoke about. But, if, yeah, if there's any more you want me to elaborate on, I'm more than happy to. But, yeah, I get it's still like a little bit emotional talking about it. <laughs> Oh mate, I'm just been taking that in for like that is unbelievable. Seriously, I've you know I think oh I'm actually a little bit emotional <laughs> just even thinking about it too. But like it's 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 such an incredible story, and I, like I've known you for so long, and mm. and haven't never heard you probably tell that story yourself. But I know I know of your story, but to yeah. hear it firsthand is is you know it gives me goosebumps. Um, as you know, mate, we've we've got a lot of mutual friends as well, and and yeah. how highly you know, people regard you, um, not only your teammates, but your friends as well, because you're such yeah. a, such a loyal and, and good man. Can you, can you talk us through, I suppose, growing up, um, as you said, with, in the commission flats with, with other mates, and I won't name who they are, but, but our, our mutual friends as well, but, um, growing up with them and, and what, what, what was that like? What were some of the things that you guys, you know, there was obviously good times as well, but there was obviously some hard times with that as, as, as we can see. Um, Nah, so I guess, you know, there's probably two of my close mates that I grew up with were Mulay and their names are Omar. And I guess, you know, we're still best mates now because we sort of went through our childhood together. We sort of, um, you know, had to lean on each other through the hard times, you know, growing up. And, like, we just knew what it was like growing up where we did. So, like, we just get each other. Um, then, obviously, you know, I go to high school and I meet, you know, a great bunch of mates. And, like, um, you know, I had the other guys that would bully me, but then I had my little close group that would... Um, you know, stick fat by me and actually be my mate because of who I am or because of what I had or what I didn't have. Um, you know, and I guess that's just why, 
no loyalty is like a, it's a massive thing to me because um you know without some loyal friends or you know without without you know your loyal family members like you you sort of get nowhere in life from episode 34 adam zampa yeah and then the other one is probably the passing of um phil hughes so that like really changed my perspective on on cricket i was obviously there that day playing that game um so yeah, that changed my life ridiculously. Um, yeah, just obviously he was a huge reason why I moved to South Australia. He was always like, brass, come. Like, it's so good down here. I'll get you here. So basically, after he said that to me, I got the offer from South Australia to move down. He was amazing. Like, one of my like real good mates at New South Wales. But then when I moved to South Australia, um, yeah, our friendship blossomed. Um so when that happened, it really changed my perspective on the way that I like. I felt like people dealt with it. Like I, I was quite angry, um, angry, sad, but also gave me a real different perspective on how I see like my cricket career as well. Like if, if you told me tomorrow my my job, you're not going to get another contract, I'd see that probably a lot differently now. I'd be probably probably okay with it, you know, because mm. um, yeah, it's just a game of cricket. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think that it takes something like that to have that perspective. And I've said this on a, a, one of a podcasts before, but I, you know, had a similar thing sort of happen. Like one of my best mate passed away in a car accident when I was when I was twenty one. And I think, like you said before, you get really angry because you think like you know when people say my most hated thing that people say is everything happens for a reason. I go, or it is what it is. It is what it is. And you're I like, well, that. what reason? Is that like yeah. what? Like, just because I have perspective now, I'd rather him. I'd rather have no perspective and have him than that. Okay, that that yeah. doesn't outweigh that. Yeah. But I think one thing that makes me feel better about it is the, what people say. The quote: is, "It's not what happens; it's how you react to it." Yeah. So you know, it's not that that's happened. It's just like I can go two ways from this. Like you know, that's happened and, and it fucking it sucks. Yeah. And it's the worst. But what you can go, it, it's it's pretty much the same thing, but it just sounds better. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're trying to say. I I was really angry with the way. So like, it's a long time ago now. It's like it's almost it's over five years ago now, mm. which is seems ridiculous to me. But um, yeah, the fact that the funeral was televised. Um, yeah, just just little things like that made me really angry, and then it probably turned me into a worse person the way that I treated people at the time. So it's a really good learning curve for me if like that ever happened to me again. He's the only close friend that I've ever lost. Um, so yeah, if I, that ever happens to me again, I'll be in a much better place to, to handle it. But um, yeah, that, that that moment in particular was like a huge turning point in my career, career in my life. It was, it was tough. Definitely, definitely. What is your motto? You don't have to have one. It's more like what's your, what's your mantra that you live by? <sighs> Stephen Fleming, who was the old Stars coach, was really into like little things like that and one that really stuck with me that he told me was be where your feet are so basically you know i'm here right now with you so give it everything you've got um and not worry about what's happened or what's what's coming up so it's it is tough to it's harder to say than uh, tough harder to do than than to say um but yeah i really like that motto be where your feet are. i've never heard that yeah it's awesome from episode 59, Elliot Loney, your impact that you can have on someone. like Is that something that 
gives you massive like grat- gratification in terms of like you know you, you do these skits and you do these these performances where someone can be having you know one of the worst days of all time they chuck on one of your videos for you know x amount of time and it can change their mood and it can change their outlook on things is that something that like you actually think about yeah man to be honest with you that's the probably your only reason why i haven't quit in terms of there's been times where like the chips have been down and like i have i've been like what am i doing like a, you know what i mean like there's you know the, the the thing that i struggle with the most with the comedy thing is like you know the money's not consistent it's like you know it's hard to sort of know where your next paycheck's coming from especially someone like myself who does a lot of corporate work through the impersonations um because when it rains it pours but then you have like months where you're probably not doing much you know when the chips are down you're not getting much work or things aren't happening it's kind of like what am i doing like i'm better off just doing a trade or getting a desk job or just like working a nine to five, like having some stability. But then when, you know, I get messages from people literally talking about some of the stuff you you've just referenced, like they'll be saying stuff like, man, I'm going through a really dark time. So and so, such and such has just happened in my life. You know, even some people message me saying stuff like on my Facebook page or Instagram, like I was thinking about ending my life, man. And they'll be like, mate, your videos like, you know, have like over the years when I've been in my darkest times of like helped me laugh when, you know, things weren't going well for me. And like when I hear that and see that, man, like honestly, like it almost makes me cry, bro, because that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like I love that stuff. It's always been what I love to do. I love making people laugh. I love making people happy. Mm. And um, it's a coping mechanism for me, but it's also a coping mechanism for so many others that I don't think that I really understood until quite recently. And then I was like, hey, I'm actually not just doing this for myself. I'm doing this for people out there who actually, you know, it genuinely makes an impact in their life so much so that they can message me, say stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, you know, I've been doing this for a long time now and I can see the effect it's had on some people. And for some people, even just a small thing like that, like a, you know, two minute video or one minute video of doing me doing something outrageous can make their day. So, you know, that's that's pretty cool, powerful stuff. Oh, mate, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, as you said, you, you don't start these things to do that. Like if I look at the podcast now and, and, and how it all, all came apart, how it all came about, but um, yeah, especially like of late, um, it's really solidified my purpose in terms of, yeah, I'm doing this for a, a career. And like you said, it, it's not a career where you're going to be making millions of dollars, but there's been times where like I have not wanted to do an episode. I've just been so so busy and just been like, man, I just can't this week. Like I'm so flat out. Like I'll get a message from someone on Instagram and they're like, oh man, you know, had the worst week. Um, just like makes my day on a Tuesday when like you drop your podcast and I was just like, fuck, I can't not do it now. Like I've got to do it because when it becomes like not about you and it's about like if you can have some impact on other people, I think that that's like the most special thing. And, and I know... I alluded to this a lot, and I know you listened to the episode with Ben Crow, but we spoke about, you know, that sort of third stage where you can get to and when you can think about other, you know, people and having impact on them. And, man, like, look, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but, like, we're nothing special. Like, we're literally just fucking just normal blokes, like, literally just having a chat. And you've had some incredible emails, but, like, and I had, I had an email from a mum um, last week, and it, like, it actually rocked me. Like, I just could not like fathom like that I don't want to say you know what was in it but like basically just explained that 
the messages that you know were coming through that she was you know been trying to teach like her family and and someone had passed this on to her that they probably needed to hear it and oh man it just like the, the, you know like to think that someone is actually benefiting from something that you can do is like you can't buy that like 